We're in the book of Acts. If you could turn to Acts chapter 8. Um, Acts chapter 8. It's great to see Rodney here this morning. Rodney's been on vacation. Giving Rodney a hard time today. Preaching right at Rodney. Rodney. I had to get Rodney out of his house by sending bats into his house. <laughs> Acts chapter 8. Um, and Acts chapter 9, um, an exciting chapter. Um, we're going to hear uh, we're going to hear Billy next Sunday talk about the conversion of Paul. I'm excited about that. Eduardo's going to give a word as well. I was just excited about Acts chapter 9, and uh, but I don't get to do it. That's great. And what we're going to try to do is, is once a month, I'd like to get someone in here and just do the main message. I'd like to sit and just listen to the portions that God has given this body. In Acts chapter 8, we see that Paul is rav- Saul is ravaging the church. Saul is ravaging the church. Let me just quickly go through the book of Acts that we have already covered. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 26, we really see the prayer and preparation. The church is in prayer and preparation. And I can't stress that enough. You know, we're going to talk about a cafe opportunity for us. And I just would like to, you know, there's just a lot of talk. I've been talking with a lot of you guys just one on one morning. And uh, I just think that really we just need to be in prayer. You know, let's just be on our knees. Let's really get on our face before God and just say, Lord, uh, may your will be done. You know, because there's nothing worse than a program that we start in the church that's not bathed in prayer. And I need you guys to pray. Pray for me. Pray for all of us. Uh, even if you're visiting, just pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for Evergrace. I really feel that God has put us in a very special place here in the woodlands and spring. And I think that God has a great plan for us and we're in it. So pray for us. Pray and prepare. If you look at the life of Jesus, how many years did he live? 33 years, right? How many of those years were preparation? Do the math. 30. How many years of ministry? Three. That's the life of the believer. You you ever get tired of preparation? You ever get tired of like, hey, when is it going to be my turn? When am I going to be jumping into the kingdom and... And making my big splash in the kingdom of God and being used. When am I going to have my Acts chapter 2? When am I going to have my message to 3,000 people? Well, there is 30 years of Jesus. That's the Son of God, deity, God himself. 30 years of preparation. How long did Moses prepare? 40 and then another 40. Eight, when he was 80, he began his call. It's amazing. When I turn 80, I have a vision to, to do what Caleb did. To take on a mountain and lead a nation out of the captivity when I turn 80. That would be great. Well, that may be where we're at when I turn 80. Who knows what's going to happen in this nation in the next, what's it, 26 years. So Jesus' life was, what percentage of, see, 30, his, was it 90% preparation? That's our life as a Christian, huh? Something like that. 90 years. Our life as a believer, 90% of our life as a believer is quiet preparation. So don't get discouraged. Don't, don't throw in the towel. I mean, if you're, 30 year, if you're 35 years old here, uh, if you're 55 years old, that, that doesn't matter. Don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Let the Lord prepare you as he prepared the first church. Don't, don't despise the day of small things. Let God camp out with God in the upper room. You know, just be there. Be with the disciples. Talk vision. Get up there. Pray with the disciples. It's okay. We're not in a rush. I'm not in a rush. We have eternity. The flesh is in a rush because the flesh is going to die soon. 
You know, somebody, you know, I don't know what your age is today. Maybe you're worried about your age. I don't know. You're like, I'm running out of time. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be whatever in a few years. Don't rush because the flesh has an expiration date. The flesh is worried about time. We're not worried about time. We're not worried about time because God is eternal. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and he arrives in power because he now he can, he can indwell flesh and blood. And you know, the, the Holy Spirit is not, by the way, some mystical wind that blows in and out. It's not some spiritualism. He's a person. He's a person. And the difference between the Holy Spirit and other spirit religions and spirits in other religions is that they're angelic, they're demonic. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a person. He indwells us. That's why Christianity, that spiritual Christianity is personable. It's community. It's a, there's exchange. There's, there's body life. We call it body life here. A spiritual Christian is not someone who is, and we all have social thresholds, okay? It's okay. It's fine. But a spirit-filled person is someone that is understands the personhood of God. Satan is an angel, and he's not personable. When you look at angels and the way they talk to people in the Bible, it's kind of interesting, you know? They're like, I think I just lost my mic. Sorry. Um, angels, when they talk to people, you ever notice how rough they are? Like, you know, they're a little bit like curt. They're a little bit short, right, with people. They're a little bit like, you know, because they don't have the nature and the character of a human being. And so um, chapter 3, we see Paul, and we see in, from chapter 3 to chapter 8, we just really start seeing the gospel being preached a lot. Yeah. We can see, that's a, do I need this, guys? No. All right. That's all right, yeah. Church planting, love it. He's trying to be a mega church pastor today. I was for like 10 minutes, right? I felt like I was preaching to millions. It's in there, man. Millions of angels. All right. Is that out? There we go. There you go. If you need it. Thanks. It's up to you. I, I think maybe not. Okay, so Acts chapter 3, Peter... Peter preaches. It's funny because every time there's a great miracle, Peter preaches. I love that. Don't you like that? Yeah, yeah. Preaching the word, the word of Christ, the gospel is the center of the, of, of, the, of the first church. Acts chapter 4, Peter preaches again. He preaches again. Acts chapter 5, there's an attack on the gospel lifestyle with hypocrisy and lying. Acts chapter 6, Stephen presents the gospel. Stephen begins to preach. Yeah. Okay, Stephen begins to preach. And he preaches this incredible message about the faithfulness of God in Israel. If you ever want to get stirred up in God's faithfulness in your life, just read the history of God's faithfulness in Israel. Amen. And then Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And then Stephen is stoned. And Acts chapter 8. We're here in Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. I mean, this Saul was a terrible guy. This guy was horrible. I mean, this was, the, this was a bad, bad man. This is the guy... It says that he would enter into homes, drag men and women and children out, and put them in prison. You think you got a bad life going on right now? You think you're bad? Look at Paul. I remember a mission trip that we had taken to Bosnia. We were in Sarajevo. I was with a small group of people. I had the Bosnian War, the whole Yugoslavian uh, genocide thing had just wrapped up. It was just in the late 90s, and we decided, hey, let's go there and preach the gospel. Let's just go what's going on, you know? So me and a, and a Czech guy and then another, another, another Hungarian guy, we get in this car and we drive all the way down to, to Bosnia and we're just thinking, you know, 
my wife didn't know I was going there. She thought I was just going to go to, to the upper parts of former Yugoslavia, which is a little bit more like, you know, there's Slovenia, there's Croatia. And then we decided, okay, let's go to Bosnia. And so called my wife up and said, honey, I'm on my way to uh, Sarajevo. And she goes, okay, hon, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Glad you're telling me now, because I don't think I would have let you go, you know. And she is so supportive. And we get there, and we're just, we're, we're on the street. We're just like, it's just cold turkey. We're just walking around, talking to people in a park. And, you know, there's a big mosque there in the middle of the town. Sarajevo in Turkish means the, um, the, uh, the city of the palace. And, and so we're, and it was like 45 minutes there, and I was ready to go. Uh, the, the, the response there was horrible. Horrible. I mean, just people were like, well, Muslims, you Americans screwed up our country. And it's very, very like, so crazy. And I said, guys, we're just going to, we're going to go, we're going to move on. We're going to go, let's go down to Serbia. And I, and I said, God, if you want us to do something here in the next 10 minutes, please bring us a person. You got to bring us some because we're out of here. We're going to leave. And sure enough, I'm walking along and there's a guy sitting on a park bench. And those days were very hard in, in Sarajevo, in Bosnia. And uh, he had some books on the bench, and he was selling his books. And we had some, you know, we had something in our hand. We had our Bibles and stuff. And the guy, he goes, hey, you guys. He goes, yeah. He goes, what are you guys doing? So I went over and started talking to him. And his, he come to find out that he was a young guy in his mid-30s. He, half of his right, his, his right side of his body was maimed. He had a maimed arm, maimed leg because of the war. And... And I began to share the gospel with him. He said, you know something? He goes, I'm a bad man. I'm a bad man. I said, oh, you know, we're all sinners. He goes, no, 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 I, I'm a bad man. I was a sniper. You guys know what Sniper Alley is? And I said, yes, it's this main street that goes through the middle of Sarajevo. And he said, I sat up in that bell tower up there and anyone that would come out into the street was a dead man. I was a sniper. That was my trade. I can't even tell you how many people I killed. I killed them in cold blood. And he pulls out this picture, like this beat up black and white picture. And he said, this was my unit of 12 men. And this unit, I was responsible for this unit. And our job was to, and, there, and coming into the city, there's like this hill. You go up this hill, and on the top of the hill, there is this, you descend into the hill, uh, down from the hill into the city. And he said, my job was to, my, I was stationed there with my men. We were special forces. We were contracted. We were Serbians. We were contracted by the Bosnians to stop the Serbians. I mean, war is so crazy. And so we were up there, and then when the Serbs came in, when they invaded, they wiped out our tank unit. They, all of my men lost their lives, and I was left for dead. I recovered and because um, of mortar. I have mortar, and I still have mortar in my body. He goes, I'm a bad man. I'm going to hell for sure. And he told me some of the stuff that he did. I just thought, man, this is a bad guy. This is a bad guy, you know? I mean, guys like him go to international court whatever and they go to jail they go to prison and i just thought and you know what the lord did he spoke to me about paul i said no you're not you're not the worst guy there's a guy worse than you and he goes i can't be i said his name is paul his name is paul he 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 didn't only kill people he didn't only murder people he killed christians he murdered the church of god women i mean he was responsible for the first martyr in the new testament and so he heard that, he received Christ as a savior, uh, he became a contact of ours, he moved on to France, and we still have contact with him today, and he's found a fellowship there. And then we left, we left Sarajevo. There was one soul there that God had us lead to Christ. There is no one that is too bad for the gospel of the blood of Christ, amen. 
I don't care what you're wrestling with. Everyone in this room wrestles with something, okay? I don't care what it is. There's no greater sins and lesser sins in the kingdom. Sin is sin. And it's on the same board. It may have different consequences in the, civil, in the civil world that we live in, but it's all the same in the eyes of God. God has put us on an even place. Peter preaches the gospel. He defends the gospel, chapter 4. Then he moves on. Stephen is preaching the gospel, and then he is killed. And it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approves of his execution. It's like the word approval there is not just say, hey, good job. He's like, he's meditating on it. He goes, oh, that was so good, man. That was like so satisfying to see that guy die. This was a radical Pharisee who was just, his feet hastened to shed blood in Proverbs chapter 6. A bad, bad man. And what happens? We know the story. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to steal Billy's message next week. But God does something incredible. Oh, my God, it's just an amazing story. The, the, the apostles don't even know what's going on. They can't even believe. Because grace is so amazing. The gospel is so incredible that if you were to, it, 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 we can't understand. We can't comprehend it. We cannot comprehend the amazing grace. That's why I don't like to listen to people's past. Sometimes people come up to me and say, well, I got to tell you. My no, I mean, you know, I don't think I need to hear that. Why? Because God doesn't need to hear it. It's been covered with the blood. And that's not who you and I are today. We are not our sin in Romans chapter 7, verse 20. And guess what? <clears throat> guess what? I don't think, and, and I myself can put myself in this category, I don't think that we truly understand what the gospel is. I think so many Christians don't even understand what the gospel is. Okay? Oh, yeah, the gospel. Jesus died, paid for our sins, shed his blood, was buried three days, rode, rose on the third day. And, and now he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Okay, the gospel is not just for salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul defines it this way. It's the power of God. It's power. If we want to talk about power in Christianity, let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about that, where God's forgiveness as a man's being stoned to death says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Because when we sin, we have no idea what we're doing. We don't. We don't, we don't understand the, repu- the repercussions of it. We don't understand how it's going to hurt people. And yet the gospel says forgiven. And we don't know. Most Christians don't know what the gospel means. And we only know a portion of it. Only enough to feel incomplete. We only know enough of the gospel to feel incomplete many times. And that we have to add something to that. I've got to, get, I've got to do something. And, and try to compensate for God, so that God can love me more. The gospel is so amazing. In Acts, in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, uh, verse, verse 12, the angels don't even know what it is. Now, if you can imagine the angelic host that existed before the foundations of the earth, and I think that there's so much, I want to do a series sometime on just unseen certainties. I want to talk about angelic stuff. I want to talk about the unseen world. I want to talk about our faith and our hope, the promises and there's this whole world that we don't see. And the angels are looking into the gospel. And they don't know the gospel until they look into your life. They don't know it. They don't know, okay, yes, we saw Jesus died on the cross. They understand the fact of it. But they don't know the gospel until Eduardo reveals it in his marriage. Or Colton reveals it in his daily walk. Or, or any of us walk in it when we walk in the gospel. And we walk in that gospel. The gospel is not just something that we preach to the unsaved, but it's something that we have to preach to ourselves every day. Every day. Every day we got to preach this gospel to ourselves. It's, it, and it's something that, it's the greatest message of the Bible. It's the, it's the core message of the New Testament. 
the, the, the gospel brings us power. But it also, you know what it does? It also is something that um, is the very glory of God himself. It's the light of God. When we get into his presence and when we look at God face to face, that glorious day when we will see and we will know even as we are known and we'll have face to face connect. You know what we're going to be astounded at? We're going to be astounded at the grace of the gospel of God. Billy Graham said that. He said, he said um, and now he's face to face with that grace. He said, when we get to heaven, we're going to be we're going to wish we had asked God for more. And I'm not talking about prosperity gospel here. I'm just saying there's so little that we trust God for because we don't understand how, God, how good God is because we're surrounded with our badness, with our failure, with our limitations, with our brokenness, with other people's brokenness and the world's brokenness and our kids' brokenness and all of that. And when we understand how good God is, that's his glory. That's his glory. That's the power. That's the wonderful glory. And that's what the elders, the angels, these incredible, these incredible creatures that John tries to describe in the book of Revelation are singing, holy, holy, holy. They're singing, holy, holy, holy. And they're just, this is all they can do all day. The core message of the first century church is not do better, work harder on your sanctification. Because any gospel that you hear that puts any emphasis on the flesh creates a inward curvature it creates self-awareness the gospel delivers us from self-awareness it delivers us from self-need self-pride it delivers us from egoism i think that we could sit down and we could cycle we can do spiritual psychoanalysis you know what that is we can sit down and analyze everybody's problem you know you know what your problem is i love conversations that start like that when someone says to me you know what your problem is i'm like Yes, God, what do you say? <laughs> it's like, okay. Whenever we listen to that kind of a gospel, it creates self-awareness, and we don't, ever, we don't listen anymore. We don't hear the voice of God. The gospel tells us there was nothing that we could do. Monday morning, there's not going to be anything that we can do to improve our situation unless we fall, unless we fall at the feet of the merciful hands of God. Um, there's, a, there's a book that I started reading by, I think his name is Jonathan Perel or Parnell, and he wrote a book called Mercy for Every Day, and it's a study on Psalm 51, and he just, it's just a very simple book about mercy. It's a very simple book about repentance, and I love this because he approaches it this way. He said that there's no way that we can repent unless we understand the goodness of God. We can understand the need for repentance, but have no capacity to repent if we don't understand the goodness of the gospel of Christ. And that's Romans chapter 2. Hey, have you ever tried to repent of something that you knew that morally was wrong and you can't get victory over it? I have. I'm there a lot. How do you, how do, you do that? You look at the goodness of God. That's what repentance is. Repentance is turning away and looking. It's, it's when I'm looking at this very black situation, very dark situation, and I'm looking and say, God, okay, I can't do anything about that. My moral conscience tells me, do something, change. And there's a, by the way, in our soul, there's a lot of power. And in our soul, our conscience is in our soul. And don't mistake conscious moral disturbance as God. God speaks through our conscience to, to lead us to a place to tell us, I need a savior. That's the law, the law that's in every Gentile. We need to look at Christ. We need to look at the gospel. We need to listen to what's the blood saying to me today. The blood is saying, forgiven. I love you. Peace be unto you. Guilty disciples. I love this scene. Guilty disciples in the upper room. We always talk about this, but I love it. 
You ever been in a, we've been, ever been in a compacted room because living in fear of the, of the Jews, any moment they're going to break through the doors, I'm going to get discovered. They're going to find all the skeletons in my closet. And they're sitting there, and then there's, the, and there's no door opens up. Jesus just walks through the wall. He just walks through the walls. You got walls in your life? I do. If you got walls in your life, Jesus walks through them. He just walks through them. I don't know what your walls are. Jesus will walk through those walls. The resurrected Christ. I can't wait till Easter comes because we're just going to talk about the power of resurrection. And so the gospel is just is the only message that changes lives. Someone says, well, you know, you can't just preach the gospel because then everybody's going to go out and live in sin. And we just know that. We know that, that we know that pushback. The gospel is this, and Timothy Keller puts it this way, and I love it the way he puts it, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever imagined. (laughs) Just take what you know about yourself. That's only a minuscule percentage of how wicked our heart is in, in Jeremiah 17. Yet at the very same time, we are more righteous, loved, and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared to hope. Because of the finished work, I added that part there. Isn't that beautiful? That we are loved, we're accepted, and we more than we could. I don't dare to even think that God, I don't, I don't, I don't even presume that I'm as righteous as Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of grace. Here's the flip side. And there's no flip side of the gospel, because, but here's the other side. This is what happens is that people say, well, you know, you're preaching, you're preaching an amoral message. You're, praying, you're, you're teaching... If you preach like that and you don't follow it up and you don't balance and then people are going to go out and, and live in sin. Listen, try to hear the gospel of the blood of Christ and try to go out and do your thing. Just try that. Because <laughs> if we hear the gospel, if we see Christ on the, on the cross and he's resurrected at the right hand of the Father, and if we hear that message that, that, that though we were sinners, he loved it, if we hear that grace message, there's no way that we could walk out that door and not be changed. Paul is on the road to Damascus, and he, he meets grace. He meets grace personified, and this evil man is changed forever. Regeneration and conversion, I want to end with this. Regeneration and conversion. When we hear the gospel and we believe on it, we just say, yes. Okay, I don't know what that means. I don't know how that works in my life. I know, I know a, a change needs to happen. I know I need God. And we just say yes to that. We just say yes to God. That's all we have to do today is just say yes to God. Yes means, Lord, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to work out. But sanctification in the grace gospel message is this, that, that, that when Paul says, in fear and trembling, work out your own salvation, it says this, and then this, and we, we never quote that second verse. We never quote the second part of that. For it is God who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. If there's something that you and I don't want to do, just say, Lord, I surrender. Yes, work it in me. Work it in me, work it in me. And this is what this guy writes in his book, Mercy for Every Day, a study on the book of, of Psalm 51. He says, he goes, he goes, God is merciful. God is merciful. And the prayer of Psalm 51 is something that he prays every day. And we look at that psalm, we think, well, that's just a prayer. You know, David messes up with Bathsheba, and then he goes and pray. He writes this out, and then he moves on. What he is saying here is, is that he's saying that this is something that needs to be a daily thing in the believer's life. And I'll explain to you what that means. I think, I think ultra-radical grace teachers are going to say, you don't even need to repent. I don't agree with that. I think that their repentance is something that we daily experience, where I'm turning away from something and I'm looking to Christ. 
I'm turning away from my flesh and I'm looking at, okay, yes, the flesh is there, but I look at Christ and that's repentance. And what he's saying is, is that there's the, the only way that we can do that is to understand that God is a gracious, kind, loving God who is waiting to be gracious, to be waiting to work in our life. And I want to say to this church, for our church, God is waiting to, 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 to be gracious to us. He wants to, he wants to use this church. He is using this church. God is with us. God is not, God is not waiting for us to do something. God is not displeased with it. God, I, yeah, you're going to see sinners saved by grace in this church, but God is with us. God is really with us. And I don't know, God brought me from the East Coast down here with my wife, and I don't know why, but we're here. I know why, but we're here. And I just really, truly believe that the Lord is going to do something, and he's going to make us a blessing to this to spring in the woodlands. Yeah. He's going to make us a blessing. We are a blessing. And you guys are a blessing at your workplace. You guys are a wor- blessing at your workplace. Friday, I had someone, actually one of my coworkers was supposed to be here this morning. I think something happened. But I had another coworker come up to me, and she goes, I think I need to go and listen to you speak. <laughs> I go, really? <laughs> you sure you want to do that? She goes, yeah, I think I really need it in my life. And it's just beautiful because there's like three people already. I've never had this kind of, I've never enjoyed this kind of response to the gospel in my workplace. I don't know if everybody really has that. But I think the Lord has us where we are to be a testimony of the grace gospel. Regeneration, regeneration happens when you and I believe. And you know something, I was supposed to get into Acts chapter 8 here, and I just... Um, um, did, have not gotten there yet. I just want to make a couple points about regeneration. When you and I said yes to Jesus Christ, he filled us with his Holy Spirit. He sealed us. That was a simultaneous event. There's, what we teach here is that there's not a second blessing that we're waiting around for God to bless us with. We're like, okay, God, what's next? You know, like, and I'm not complete until that second blessing comes. And is there a, is there a moment where where we can, where we experience something that we did not understand on a spiritual level about our about our salvation. Yes, I think it can be second, third, fourth, four hundredth, and fifth, five hundred. Many, many times in our life. And when we read here about, we read later that Philip goes into uh, Samaria and he's preaching, and then they received Christ. But it says that there's the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them. And I just want to say something quickly about that right there. We need to understand. We need to read Acts chapter eight like a Jew would read it. What's a Jew thinking when he's reading Acts chapter 8? And I want to just look at something here that maybe you and I have not considered before. Yes, there's that discussion. Yes, well, the authorities had to come down, Peter and John, and lay hands on them, and then the Holy Spirit. But I'd like to look at something a little different than that. I would like to look at it from this perspective this way. One of the first times that the Gospels mentioned on a corporate level, on a, on a, on a social level, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9, that it was a baptism where there is, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now remember the scene in Acts chapter 6, first racial tension in the first church. We have, we have Hellenistic Jews not getting the care that the Hebrews were getting. And remember what the response was? A group of men that were Greeks, Philip has a Greek name, we don't know if he was Jewish or Greek, but we're going to go with Greek, he has a Greek name. And he's raised up, these men are raised up to resolve the, 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 situ, the situation. And it's resolved. But this is still happening. There's still an issue here. The gospel, the purpose of the gospel is to reconcile all peoples together. You know what's beautiful? I was thinking about, you know, when you read about all of this ethnic tension all over the world, it dawned on me, and now I understand it so much better. You know in Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 22, where there's that little tree of life for the healing of the nations? 
after the tribulation, after the millennium, even though under the rulership of Christ, there's going to be still ethnic brokenness. There's going to be ethnic wounds. There's going to be like, there's going to be stuff that's still going to need to be healed. And the nations are going to be able to partake of the leaves of the tree and get healed from all of that. Here, is, here we see in Romans chapter 8, an amazing, and I mean, Acts chapter 8, and it really spoke to me this week. Here's, here Philip goes down to Samaria. Now the gospel is getting out of Jerusalem. It's like, it's like the virus. Okay, now, oh no, it's out of China. <laughs> the gospel is now out of Jerusalem. Oh no, watch out world, it's going to Samaria. And then it goes up to Antioch, and it's going all over to Sinai. And so the gospel is now, it's out. It's among the Gentiles. And Philip goes down to Samaria, and he's preaching, and there's this incredible response. And there's this beautiful thing that happens. And uh, then the, the, Peter and John say, hey, what's going on down there? We want to go down and hear about what's going on. So they go down, and they, and they see that they had not received the Spirit yet. It says that the Spirit had not fallen upon them. I'd like to look at it this way, that they were saved. They believed on Jesus Christ. They were sealed by the Holy Spirit, but they had not understood yet what it meant to be spirit-filled or to walk in the Spirit or to understand the, spirit, um, the spiritual mechanics of this. And I'd like to propose this. I'm not saying this is thus saith the Lord, but it's, my, it's kind of my thought. Samaritans were hated by Jews. It was horrible. I mean, it was like, it's the way, if you look at Israel today, the Palestinians and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and Israel, it's that way. John chapter 4, remember Jesus on his, on his way to Samaria? We don't understand the, the ethnic impact of that trip. <laughs> 24 miles on foot, walks up to Samaria. Samaria was a bad place. Samaria, historically, about 500, 600 years before Christ, was, was, was invaded by Assyria, and, then, and, just, and these Assyrians um, deported most of the Jews and, and replaced them with Assyrians and Canaanites. And it was just a pagan culture. They were Gentiles, and they were considered bad bad people that were not holy and they were not clean. And so when a Jew would look at Samaria and the Samaritans at the time of Christ, Samaria was, they were sympathetic to the Roman oppression over Israel. There was a lot of bad politics there. And so when a Jew would look at a Samaritan, it says in, in John chapter 6, we don't associate with them. They are, they're, they're living on our land. That's our land that they're living on. And they, they're not even Hebrews. They're not even Jews. And they're dirty. And the, the law of Moses tells us they're dirty. And we can't, we can't mate with them. We can't, we can't intermingle with them. So there's a lot of bad blood there. A lot of hatred. A lot of tension. A lot of brokenness. Samaritans there, I think, were really broken. Can you imagine living under that? Like, oh, I'm a Samaritan. Oh, man, walking into a room. Oh, he's a Samaritan just by the way they look. Imagine the, the, whatever that they wear. The gospel comes in. Jesus wants to go, he goes to Samaria. He goes, I got to go to Samaria. He says, I got to go. Don't you, don't you love the spirit of God? And I'm going to finish up here in a minute. Don't you love the spirit of God in that? I got to go to Samaria. Got to go to Samaria. Love that. I love that. That's a mission. That's a missionary thought. Um, we got guests here. Can you, Eduardo, can you invite them in? Uh, they're in, they just, they're around, they're outside on the porch there. I think that they think that they can't come in because I'm speaking. Think of that. Just, I must go to Samaria. Jesus is thinking, there's a, there's a woman there who doesn't understand the value of her soul. I love that. Don't you hear that? In his, I must go to Samaria. And then Peter goes, I, go, I gotta, I mean, Philip says, I gotta go to Samaria. God sends a Greek to talk to the Gentiles. And he goes there and they receive the gospel. 
healing. There's amazing works of God going on. People are getting healed. Demons are being cast out. And the book of Acts is amazing because the book of Acts is like full of miracles. And we are like, oh, well, you know, I mean, well, those, we got to kind of categorize that. We got to kind of put that in a, you know, God is like, okay, we know God is not doing that these days. Well, how, how we not know? I've seen people healed. I've seen great works of God. And the book of Acts is about miracles. And they're not, there are lots of miracles, but they're never happening the same way over and over. And it's not necessary that they have to happen. And when the Samaritans receive Christ, there's a great, great joy. But it doesn't say they're even speaking in tongues. So the, you can't really put a formula to the book of, the book of Acts. And so, but there's this tension. There's this, there's this brokenness. I'm a Samaritan. I, I, we are disconnected from the land that we live in. I don't know if you and I could feel that today. I don't know if you've ever been discriminated against. It's not a great feeling. It's horrible. You know what the gospel says? The gospel approaches that. Philip walks in the room and he walks into Samaria and he says, he said, Jew and the Greek, we are one now. That there is, that, the, that, the, that, the, that, that when the, the veil rents in the temple, that all nations could now come into the holiest of holies. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That means whether Jew, Greek, Arabic, whatever, we are all one in Christ. And there's, and there's, and there's no difference. And so what happens? God says, I'm going to do something because the Samaritans, and this is me. This is not, thus saith the Lord. It's just an idea to throw out there. I think that if I'm living in some kind of racial or ethnic brokenness or racism or some kind of greater than thou or lesser than thou, then I can't walk filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's just me. I know we live in a very interesting country. There's a lot of things that we have a lot of history here. I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about this, is that when we are Christ conscious, when we are filled with the glorious news of the gospel of Christ, we understand everybody's value and we ever understand healing. And so Philip, you know, so these disciples come down, Peter and John, and, and they're Jews. They're in Samaria. And imagine what Peter... Peter was a proud Jew, by the way. We see later on in Acts chapter 11. He's got issues. Yeah. <laughs> Here's an apostle with racial issues. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. I, God, you, this is unbelievable. Peter's there and he's like, well, okay, here, John, you know. So we're going to lay hands on these guys. We're going to pray, you know. And, you know, I think that that moment where, where you have the Samaritan brokenness, the Samaritan whatever it is in the Jewish pride and then there's this there's this moment where these two where these two where these two people meet where these where these group of people meet and there's prayer there's joy there's unity there's something that clicks we're one body we're one spirit and I think that I think God heals them at that moment because it's a body of Christ the body of Christ that heals people what's the answer for this world it's the body of Christ it's the blood of Christ preaching through you and I. It's the blood of Christ in us that says, you're not a wreck. <laughs> you're a new creation. You're, your whole story is being written, rewritten. And whenever, the, whenever we live in remembrance in Deuteronomy, remembrance of what God has done. Say that, you know, when he said that to Israel. And so this is the beautiful story of the gospel. The gospel does not leave us unchanged. If we are listening and feeding on the gospel of grace, we can't, there's no way we can be unchanged. We are going to be changed. It's not me trying to change. It's not me as a pastor trying to change people. It's not me as someone discipling someone trying to change them. It's me communicating to the body of Christ who you and I are in our identity, who we are in Christ. 
And when we do that, we have a ministry. When we do that, we are a blessing. When we do that, we're building people up. I want to finish in closing with a quote um, that by, by Spurgeon. And he said this, When I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind and so good, so overflowing with compassion, I smote, my, I smote upon my breast to think that I could ever have rebelled against the one who loved me so and sought my good. Let's just close in prayer right now. Lord, we just look to you. We look to that grace. Lord, we, think, we look to that blood that was shed for us. Lord, and we feel in so many ways, it's like Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter 6, when he, when he was in this incredible worship session, the angels were flying around the throne and they were, they were singing and there was this thunderous um, worship going on, so thunderous, it says in Isaiah 6, that the foundations of the temple were, were vibrating and shaking and being moved. And yet in that moment, Isaiah himself became very aware of his own brokenness. What a unique scene that is. I think if we were to go to a massive, awesome Christian concert, we'd just be there filled with worship and just amazement and like, wow, this is so awesome. I never want to leave this place of worship. Yet here is Isaiah in the presence of holiness. And that holiness is not a holiness of condemnation. It's a holiness of exaltation of Jesus Christ. It's a, whole, it's a, it's a holiness of the purity of the love of God and the compassion of Christ. And, and, and Isaiah said, woe is me, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. And he was just there in the middle of that amazing thing. And he said, woe is me. Peter was in the same situation. He was on the boat and there was this great miracle. He cast the net in unbelief to the right side of the ship and he had a great pull, had a great catch. And then Peter just comes to Jesus. Jesus, depart from me. I'm a bad person, man. I'm so bad. Depart from me. You're being good to the wrong person. I'm just going to, I could fail you. I could fail you. You know what Jesus says? Fear not. Fear not. And he gives him a calling. And we just thank you this morning. Let's just stand together. We just thank you, God, that you give us a calling, God, that goes beyond anything that we could ask or think. The life that we live is a life that is not a life that we could achieve or attain. The life that we have is a gift of grace. And the old man has been crucified. And now we are new creations on a new path with a new destiny. A new conversation in a new in a new nature in first Peter chapter, second Peter chapter one, verse four, a new nature that is renewed by the promises of God. Lord, we thank you, God, for vision. Lord, we just pray that we have a gospel vision for ourselves a gospel vision for our city, a gospel, a gospel vision for each other. And we praise you and we thank you, God. In Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Let's sing one song before we close.